Again, thank you so much for that time of worship. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going back to the beginning. Uh, Well, not the very beginning, that's Genesis 1. But we're going back to the beginning. Today is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Uh, You see we have our first Advent candle uh, lit this morning. Uh, This is a time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We remember the birth of Jesus and we eagerly anticipate and we eagerly um, reflect upon and wait on the second coming, the return of Jesus. Uh, This first Sunday of Advent, traditionally we light the candle of hope. Hope is a symbol of the promises that God delivered through the prophets and by God himself. Uh, It is a hope that we have in Christ Jesus. God, what we're going to see in our passage today as we start this new series, the, the promise of the king is coming, this Advent series, we're going to see that God crafted a great rescue plan that plays out all through the text, words, and script, uh, all through the Bible, the chapters of the Bible. Now, when you think about this time of year, I want to ask you this question. What are you anticipating? What are you waiting for? That's more than one question. I'm going to ask you several questions. What are you expecting? For our children in the room, for our young ones, maybe they're expecting a certain Christmas gift. Anybody remember that one gift that you were expecting back in the day? Like that one, like... I already told you I was kind of a a gaming system. I wanted Deion Sanders, go Colorado, right? They're terrible. Deion Sanders, prime time football for the Sega Genesis. I expected it. I wanted it. Anybody ever heard of a Sega Genesis? Just curious. Just aging myself. Everyone my age and older. Okay, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, PlayStation, Xbox, anybody heard of those? Madden, whatever. 50 if they're on right now, right? right. We anticipate those things. Uh, I also remember a time when I was anticipating, and I really wanted like a, an electric train set, like one of the big ones, that, you know, the little bitty ones, and I got it. I'm so disappointed because it didn't work. Uh, it was such a disappointing, our user didn't know how to make it work, Right? So this time of year, I mean, we have expectations. We're expecting maybe to have the best Christmas ever. Not that I recommend this or want you to watch it. If you've never seen it, do not go watch it. But the Griswold Christmas, right? Now, see, the ones who are laughing have seen it, and we're going to have to talk after the service, right? But he had this expectation of what Christmas, the perfect Christmas would look like. He anticipated all his family being there, and it was just awesome. And if you've seen the movie, it was anything but. He goes to jail, kind of, sort of, not really. It was, it, but there's this anticipation, this expectation of Christmas, the perfect gift, the looks on people's faces when we see them receive that gift card that we thought so deeply about before we bought and gave it to them. Anybody else do that with family? I don't know what to buy my 20-something-year-old niece but I know she likes an Amazon gift card and she can buy whatever she wants. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season of expectation. 
It's a season of waiting. But all of that and everything that ties into the holiday season from gifts to families, it all ties back to the Bible. Because we are anticipating, even though we know the birth of Jesus has already come, we're anticipating the birthday celebration of Jesus. We're expecting that. We're looking forward to that. And we're expecting and looking forward to the return of Jesus, who is our King. This Advent season, our series is the coming King, or the King is coming. And we're going to walk through several different passages of Scripture. Uh, Two Old Testament, two New Testament. The idea is today, the promised king. The king is promised. Okay, The pope is promised. Next week, the characteristics of our king, the birth of our king, and then we'll look at the return of our king. That is what we're going to focus on all throughout the Advent season. But today, for us to truly understand this idea of the king is promised, We have to start where it all fell apart. That's Genesis chapter 3. It's Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Uh, It's a little lengthy, and we're going to read it together and walk through it. Uh, But as we get there, here's the context. God created. In the beginning, God created. There was absolutely nothing. God created everything from nothing and has set everything in motion. And God has said everything is good. Everything is good. In fact, everything is very good. It is created exactly the way God wanted it. That leaf on that tree is exactly where God wanted it. The color of that flower is exactly the way God wanted it to be. Adam and Eve looked at exactly like God wanted them to look. Everything in this chapter, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything is perfect. The food that that God provided for Adam and Eve was perfect. Okay, Every, the animals were perfect. Everything was absolutely exactly the way God intended it to be. But God did give one do not command. He gave some things, he gave some commandments. He's told Adam and Eve, you got to take care of the animals, take care of the garden, do this, do this. And he says, but don't do this one thing. Don't eat food, fruit from that one tree. One tree. Just don't do it. Stay away from it. Now, by the way, I just want to say this. That one thing shows us how awesome God is. I want you to think about that before we get started. God could have easily created a world of robots who did exactly what he wanted them to do at all times. God created free-willed creatures who had a choice to follow the commands that God gave or to disobey the commands that God gave. God didn't want to force humanity to love him. God wanted us to choose to love him. I think that says so much about who God is. That God's desire for us, for us, is for us to have the desire to be in a relationship with him. A desire to follow the commands in his teachings. A desire for us to choose to be in a relationship with him. That's not the sermon. That's a whole other sermon in itself. But I just, to me, that is such a high view of God. Where he could have created us to, mandated us to love him. And he says, no, I want you to choose to love me. 
So here's what happens in chapter 3. Here's where it all falls apart. They're living a great life in a perfect world. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. By the way, that is a snake. Okay, that, The Hebrew word for snake. For those who have an affinity or a love for any kind of snake, they're Satan. Just putting that out there. For those who judge me for killing black snakes, it's Satan I'm doing my part. Okay? It does mean snake. Uh, it's, it's a symbolism for Satan. I mean, but that word does mean snake. Anyway, he said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of, some of its fruit, ate it, she also gave some to her husband who was there with her. That's important for all the women who have been told your whole life it was your fault. It's not. Adam was with her. In fact, the first sin was probably the sin of Adam's silence. He stood there and let her make a spiritually bad decision. He was the spiritual head of the house. We talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I love this. This is typical of every man. The man replied, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and ate it. Any husbands? I saw that look, Brian. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, typical, the serpent deceived me and I ate it, passing the buck. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. And you will move on your belly, snake, and eat dust all the days of your life. And people will hit you with shovels and kill you. That's, that's not there, but we do that. All right, this is where it gets real serious. Verse 15, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Sorry. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Verse 17, and he said to the man, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. Here's, this is really the tragic part. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living things. The Lord God made clothing. This is hopeful. The Lord God made clothing from skin for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. And then the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out. Take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Sent him away from the garden. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. I know there's humor in that story because it relates a lot to everyday life, but this is the tragic reality that all of us face today. The reason our world is broken, the reason there is pain, the reason there is suffering, the reason there is sickness, the reason there is death, is chapter 3. The reason we look around and this world is not perfect, far from it, is chapter 3. But in the middle of chapter 3 is a glorious hope, a glorious promise. So we're going to walk through the steps of sin. We're going to walk through this and see what God did as a provision for sin. Uh, It's going to be, we're going to walk through it kind of like this. Uh, I don't use it much, but more of you know about Star Wars than like to admit. I've learned that as we talk afterwards. But Star Wars kind of has this uh, path to the dark side, okay, right, where it's uh, fear, Leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's the path to the dark side. What you see in chapter 3 is the path to division and death and separation from God. And it starts with this. The first one is deception leads to doubt. Deception leads to doubt. This serpent who is more cunning than all the other ones, he's really, really smart. Uh, we could take a whole sermon for me to walk you through the, the threads of the Bible, but just and you can do that. But listen, this serpent is the fallen angel. It is Satan. It is Lucifer. It is the devil. It is the evil one. It is anti-Christ, anti-God. It is pure evil, and it is extremely smart, and it knows exactly where to attack these two humans. It knows exactly how to deceive them. And so right out of the gate, he says, does God really say? Now, I want you to listen to me. All deception starts right here. All sin starts right here with this phrase, does God really say that? Does God really, really say that homosexuality is a sin? Does God really, really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Does God really, really say that I shouldn't 
be an alcoholic or give in to too much drink, does God really say that I shouldn't lie? Does God really say that I should only have one wife for the rest of my life? Does God really say, now I've been banging on some, some famous ones, right? Does God really say, love your enemy? Does God really say, forgive 70 times 7? Does God really say? And that is the starting point of all deception. They begin to question the word of God, the truthfulness of God. And they begin to distort the meaning and the plain reading and the, uh, the understanding of the biblical text. Listen, much of the Bible's interpretation was agreed upon for 2,000 years. Most of these scholars who studied this and translated this and poured over this for 2,000 years really, for the most part, agreed on the most important things of the text. It's only been more recently that scholars have started to call in to question some of the meaning of this text. Did God really say that? Did God really tell me to do this? Did God really tell me to avoid that? Deception starts by calling into question, what did God really say? And then there's a distortion of the word of God. Now notice what, he, notice what the serpent says. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Was that what God said? Well, no, actually God didn't say that. What God said in Genesis 2, 6, 16, God's command to the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will surely die. That was the command. God's word said, hey, Adam, Eve, you are free to eat from any of this. In fact, this is all good for you. It is my provision to you. My, I, I, I'm God. I love you. I created you. I'm going to provide every single thing you need to survive and to thrive. You got, I, mean, I don't know what's there, but you got the banana tree, and that's some good stuff. Now, the best banana I have ever ate in my life was in Ecuador, and we literally picked it off the tree. And then... We dipped it in chocolate. It's called a choco banana. But that doesn't matter. But it was fantastic. Right? It was the greatest piece of fruit, bananas fruit, I've ever had. This whole garden has the greatest fruits and vegetables and everything that they need. They can eat from it. It's funny how Satan left that out of the text. He says, did God really say you can't eat from anything? Well, no. He said, you can eat all of it. And it's all wonderful. It's all good. You can be fat, happy, and sassy. It's fantastic. So we now have a questioning of God's word. That's where the deception started. A distortion of God's word, completely changing what God said. Focus, by the way, gosh, this, again, cunning. He focused on the negative. He focused on the one thing they couldn't do. Now, before you judge them, have you ever been told you couldn't do something? And instantaneously, that's what you wanted to do. Don't eat this cookie. 
It's for, oh, this is a recent one. Don't eat that Hawaiian roll that I just bought. That's for somebody else. I stared at those Hawaiian rolls for hours. Because, you know, I only work an hour a week. So I can stare at Hawaiian rolls for hours. And it's like, I want a Hawaiian roll. Satan's smart. Satan's smart. Don't, don't, don't hit each other with those baseball bats. Somebody will get hurt. Instantly, I wanted to hit my brother with a baseball bat. That's... He focused on the one thing God said didn't do. Questioning God's word, distorting God's word. He made them think. He deceived them into thinking God was not good. He deceived them into thinking God was withholding the best. I want you to listen. That's what every single temptation and sin does that we face. Everyone distorts God's word. Everyone challenges whether or not God said it. And every single one says, if you just do that, it's better than the rest of it. If you just do this one thing that you're not supposed to do, it'll give you so much more satisfaction, so much more gratification. It's so much better. That's the deception. That this one thing was so much better than everything else that God was providing. They called into question God's provision for their life. He questioned their pride. He called into question their pride. He says, you can be like God. You can be like God. You can have control. You can know things. God's withholding all this knowledge from you, although he's really not. He's withholding all this good knowledge, and you can have it. You can be like God. I love this. No, I don't love it. It's it's tragic. But listen, (laughs) men and women were created in the image and likeness of God. That doesn't mean we are God. It doesn't mean we have the same characteristics. We're not all knowing. We're not all controlling. But we were literally created in the likeness and image of God. And here this serpent is calling into question the fact that we are not created like God. If we want to be like God, we have to disobey God. Deception leads to doubt. All of that led to her doubting the goodness of God. All of that leads to her Doubting the word of God. That's the second thing. Deception leads to doubt. Doubt leads to disobedience. When she doubted God's provision, when she doubted God's goodness, when she doubted God's word, she disobeyed God's command. When she came to a point, or they, both of them, came to a point where they thought they knew More than God. They disobeyed the one command. Doubt leads to disobedience. Now, we're not going to walk through the whole story and every consequence, but this is going to sum it up for you. Disobedience leads to death and division. The serpent made them think that they wouldn't die. And they didn't. They didn't die physically. It was never about physical death. Although some would argue that 
it did lead to physical death. But the whole idea was spiritual death. Their spirits died. The disobedience led to corruption of everything that was good. It wasn't just Adam and Eve dying spiritually. It wasn't just Adam and Eve disobeying. This one act of disobedience ruined everything. It ruined the perfect creation of God. Why do we have hurricanes? This one event in time. Why do we have cancer? This one event in time distorted all of the perfection. Why do we have wars and conflict and arguments and disagreements? Because sin entered the world. Why? This is the question. Why is evil in the world? God did not put evil in the world. We did. In this moment in time, when we chose to disobey, and I say we, humanity, Adam and Eve, cho- chose to disobey God. And sin entered the world. That sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in the the New Testament. It also led to division. He kicked them out of the garden. The place where they had perfect communion with God. A place where God apparently, as you read in the text, just wandered around in the evenings to talk to them. This relationship between God and man, which was perfect, was divided and separated and God said there we got to kick them out really what he's saying is I am holy and I can't have unholiness in my presence kick them out it led to death and it led to division a division between humanity and God it led to hopelessness can you think about this we don't know the time frame it could have been years Adam and Eve could have been living in this perfect creation for years Dependent upon God. Following God. That, now, okay, I get it. That was not, I'll tell you what I get in a minute. That was not somebody calling me and my phone is on vibrate. That was me hitting a button that set off the alarm on my phone in my pocket. It reminds me of a time John Piper was preaching really hard, really heavy, moving his arms, and his Apple watch went off really loudly and said he fell down and broke his hip. Right? So, but I get that God wants me to stop talking about the negative and get to the positive. I get it. Right? Disobedience leads to death and division. Here's the hope. Because that division requires a divine promise. Division requires a divine promise. In the middle of the passage. And you may read it on the surface and see this is just a consequence that the serpent is facing. No, 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 no. In the middle of the story. In the midst of the helplessness and hopelessness. In the midst of the shame and guilt that they are now facing. God says, I will put hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is called the proto-egelion. Did I say that right, Ryan? Okay. I've been working all week to say it right. It's really hard. What it means, this is the first gospel. 
in the middle of this situation, God says, I had provided everything for you and you still disobeyed me, but I will not forget about you. I will not, even though we're going to be divided, I'm not going to just let you wonder. I'm going to, in this moment, promise to give you a divine solution. This is the very first text in the Bible that references us and points us to the coming of Jesus Christ. I will put hostility between you and the woman. Between your offspring, that's Jesus, and her, or that's the serpent, and her offspring, that's Jesus. He will strike your head. He will destroy the serpent. Anybody ever killed a snake? What do you do? You smash its head to a thousand pieces, right? A thousand and one if you want to. I mean, make sure. Jesus is going to smash the head of the serpent. And the serpent's going to strike at his heel. The serpent's going to come after him, but it won't work. Jesus is going to destroy the evilness of this world. Jesus is going to restore the death and division. Jesus is going to restore the relationship that has been broken. Right here in Genesis 3, we have the promise of a king That will come. In the midst of their hopelessness, they are given hope. In the midst of the corruption of our universe, God provides a solution. Now, it's going to take some time. God has always been working in history and through history. You might say, why didn't God just send Jesus at this moment? Because God's plan is bigger than Adam and Eve's plan. God's plan is bigger than our plan. Jesus had to come at the right time in history. So God works in history and through history. But from this moment in time, the anticipation began. The waiting for a promised king began. The expectation of a promised king began. That's what we focus on. As we start Advent, the promised hope of Jesus Christ. In the midst of the brokenness of our world today, in the midst of our guilt, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our helplessness and hopelessness, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. He's already here. He's already came. We're waiting for his return. But that is what we focus on this Advent season. Jesus, the promised king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. We thank you that in the darkest moment of human history, You didn't abandon us. You didn't destroy us. You promised to restore us. In the midst of all the consequences that we face because of our sin, you promised to still provide for us. In the middle of all of our disobedience, you provide Jesus Christ for us. May Jesus be on our hearts and minds every single day of our life.
as we prepare and get closer to this Christmas season with our family, our friends, our children, Father, don't ever let us lose sight of Jesus. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.